If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 2, okay? Matthew chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, all you got to do is go into the altar room, altar room over in the venue, and we'll give you a Bible. We, we'd love to put a Bible into your hand. Before we uh, get into this, I, I did something uh, super interesting to me this past week. Ne- never done it in all my 30 plus years here at Big Valley Grace. In fact, it's never been done here at Big Valley Grace. For 30 years, we have collected up the Connect cards. We've changed the name of it over 30 years. It's called the Connect card now. But for 30 years plus, uh, we collect those cards. And on Tuesdays, we literally will pray for each of those cards by, by, by name. I'll, I'll have a group of cards, 20 cards, whatever it might be. And literally by name, I'll pray for you, whatever your request was. And every single card is, is prayed for. But here's what I've never done. I had somebody this week take all the cards, hundreds of cards, and put them into categories. I wanted to see what was the number one thing that the family here was, was praying for? What, what, what's the number one thing that the people that I have the honor and privilege of shepherding, what, what's going on in their life? And this is what we came up with. It was re- really interesting to me. The number one thing was health. You see, see that? Health. That was the number one prayer request. Physical health. Emotional health. Psychological health. And it was interesting to just to see all the different requests that had to do with health. It could have been health for a spouse. It could have been health, you know, pray for my father who's not feeling well. But it had something to do with health. And number two, the second biggest thing up there was family. Pray for my spouse. Pray for my, you know, my, my marriage or whatever it might be. The third biggest category were, were praises. The people wrote on their cards, hey, I got a new job, or hey, you know, I, I, I landed a big deal in my, in my business. Uh, they were, hey, I, I, you know, got engaged, and they shared with us a praise. And then, and then the, you know, the fourth one was the loss. People had written, pray for my uncle, pray for my, you know, dad, pray for somebody, somebody I work with who doesn't know the Lord, that they would come to faith in Christ. And then the, the n- number five was work stuff. I need a job. I'm not getting along with my <laughs> boss or whatever all those things might have been. And here, here I, I saw that and I just thought, wow, that was, that's really interesting. And it, and it kind of led me all week just to pray for major categories for you. I may only see 20 or 30 cards now I, I got to see my whole church family. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. It's your family. And so I had this made because I wanted you to see it so that you could be praying for all of those connect cards that come in too. In fact, this is what I'd like for you to do. If you're physically able, why don't you just get onto your knees And just in a general sense, would you pray for these things for the people of our church? Maybe it's you. Maybe yours isn't up there. I'm only giving you the top five. But let's all take a moment and together pray for all of those connect cards that came in, okay? And so, Lord, those cards we turn in each week, they're like gold to us. Those are really important to us that we could pray for the family here. 
And there are certainly a lot of health things going on in our church right now. Number one thing people are praying for. And somehow, God, would you uh, show up in these lives, Lord? You, you gave yourself the name of Jehovah Rapha in the Old Testament, the, the Lord who heals. And you gave yourself that name not to remind you that you're a God who heals, but just to remind us that you are a God who heals. And may Jehovah Rapha show up in our church's family here, God. Whether it's emotional healing or psychological healing, maybe it's physical healing. I don't know what it is, God. But may the great healer show up in a special way. Bless us now as we get into your word, and I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, here's what I think is going to happen, by the way, when you look at that list up there. I'll bet it changes. I think the end of January and February, you know what the number one thing will be on that list? Finances. Because all the credit card bills come in from all the gifts that you had to buy with money you didn't have. Could be wrong. I hope I am wrong. I've worked hard as your pastor over the years to change our thoughts and attitudes about this season. But it will be interesting because I'm going to keep doing this, and I don't know whether every week we'll all gather like this to pray, but it was really special for me to see my church family that I love so much and where your hearts are at. Um, anybody know what happened on December 7th, 1903? Any historians out there? December uh, 17th, 1903? Huh? What's that? No, 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 no. Good, good guesses, though. They, you know... Some people took a chance, and they, they, they guessed. Uh, there were a couple of brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright. They made their uh, first flight at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Took them five attempts. But on the fifth attempt, for the first time ever, for 12 seconds, a plane got off the ground. 12 seconds, man had taken flight. I mean, this was one of the great moments, not, not just in U.S. history, but just in history in, in general. I mean, the day man flew. Well, when it was over, Wilbur rushed to the local uh, telegraph office and he sent the following message to their sister, Catherine. Quote, we have actually flown for 12 seconds. We'll be home for Christmas. Remember, it happened on December 17th. So she sends off a telegram. We've actually flown for 12 seconds. And we want you to know, sister, we'll be home for Christmas. Now, when Catherine uh, received the telegram, she went down to the editor of the newspaper and said, hey, I gotta tell you something. My brothers are gonna be home for Christmas. They actually flew for 12 seconds and they said that they would be willing to give you the scoop on this thing. They'll, they'll meet with you. They'll, they'll, they'll talk to you as the editor of the newspaper. The editor thought, you know, that's nice, that's sweet. And on December 19th, the local paper placed the following headline on the sixth page of the paper. Wright Brothers will be home for Christmas. (laughs) 
Really? Now what they printed was true. But they missed the big story. Man had flown for 12 seconds. They missed it. I read that story this week. I thought to myself, huh, I think that happens to us as believers when it comes to this time of year. Not everybody. Not everybody. But I certainly think it happens to a lot of us. We, we decorate our trees and our homes. We decorate our churches. Put wreaths up on our doors. And, and, and by the way, all these things I'm telling you, we do. There's nothing evil in it. Every year there's a family in our church who makes wreaths for a lot of people. I, I, and, and we sit around and wait for that wreath to come. We put it on our door. I got all the lights up. In fact, I want you to know, light, lights on my house in my neighborhood. If you live in my neighborhood, yours are lame compared to mine. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I took my, my son. We got in a car the other night. No joke. It was night. And we drove around our neighborhood. Look at that, son. Lame. Look at that. <laughs> What's that guy thinking, man? That guy's got no sense of coordination. Look at that. The lights are weird and white and the, the, the set of icicles and then another blue set. I mean, no, we're on coordination, man. And we drove around and, 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 then, and then the blow-up ones are up and, you know, one machine's out and it's all empty <laughs> laying there. Come on. And then we got to our house and I parked right out in front. Ah! I said, son, I'm discipling you right now. I'm discipling you on how to make your house look good. You don't want it to look bad. We, uh, we have a number of nativity scenes up, just probably like you do. In our home, some of them are big and, and fun, and some of them are more, they just, just have a different feel to them. They're just different. Uh, we send out all of our Hallmark cards, right, to everybody, you know, and we got all this great festive music in our homes going right now. I'll tell you what, Alexa, turn on holiday music. And it goes on, man, this is a great man. Uh, and, and there's nothing like the music of this season. Literally, I mean, it's just, it's just great. We have presents, you know, under our trees and wear special outfits and all that kind of stuff. And, by the way, just to let you know, uh, what are we at? Uh, oh, ooh, only 15 shopping days left. Always amazes me, Christmas Eve, we get out of here, whatever time it is, seven o'clock at night, Christmas Eve, and on my way home, I have to go by Walgreens. It's one of the few stores on the planet that's open Christmas Eve, and it's packed. <laughs> Not because people are in there buying, you know, prescriptions, they're buying that special loved one a gift. <laughs> Christmas Eve at eight o'clock at Walgreens. That, boy, there's a, that's gonna be a special gift. <laughs> uh, I wonder if in the midst of all the stuff, we missed the big picture. I know for a lot of years, I, I think I did. I, I got some of it right. Hey, the Wright brothers were home for Christmas. The paper didn't lie. The paper didn't do something evil or wicked. They just missed the big point of the whole, of the whole thing. The story we're gonna read here the, this morning is about the wise men. This was a, a group of men that, that got it right. They didn't let all the stuff get in the way. They, they, they were able to focus on the big thing. And nothing distracted them from that. And I want to make three comments before I read the story about these wise men, just so that 
we all have a, a biblical framework, okay? Most of us know this already, but I know that there are people watching. Maybe this is your first time, and I want to make sure you understand a couple of things. Number one, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how many wise men there were or magi there were. We don't know. Hallmark has got us thinking there were three. Your nativity scene at home makes you think it's three. But the Bible doesn't say how many there, there were. Is it evil to have three wise men up in your nativity scene? No. But we don't know how many there were. I think it's safe to say that there were way more than three. Uh, Jerusalem was a, a, a big city, and if three you know, guys would have rode into town, that wouldn't have caused much of a stir. If three important men in SUVs, you know, black SUVs pulled up to the Brigsmore overpass, no one would care, right? If 300 men in SUVs all pulled up to the Brigsmore overpass, the police would know, the mayor would know, the city council members would know, the uh, supervisors would know, people would know something's going on. That would cause a stir. Three guys showing up in Jerusalem wouldn't have caused much of a, uh, a stir. But we don't really know how many there, there were. Number two, the, these wise men were probably students of the, the stars because somehow they recognized that there was this weird star in the sky a sky, a star that maybe didn't belong, and they seemed to have some sort of knowledge as to what it meant that, that there was a, a king that had been born. They didn't know all the details, but they knew something. Something was going down. And what's interesting, when they show up in Jerusalem, which was the religious mecca of the world, nobody else in town knew anything about what was going on. All these religious folks didn't have a clue. But these wise men that came in, somehow they knew enough about some of the Old Testament passages and stars that they were able to put something together where basically nobody else in the religious capital of the world at that time, even well, even today, they didn't know, they have a clue what was going on, no clue. And number three, it took these wise men quite a while to finally get to where Jesus was. In your nativity scenes or your Hallmark cards, you often will see the wise men right there with Jesus in a manger or whatever it is. There, there's, the wise men weren't with Jesus when he was first born. It took them quite a while to get there. They were coming from the east. Not all scholars agree as to where in the east they were coming from. A lot of people say Arabia. Some say Persia. No one really knows where they were coming from. We just know they were coming from the east, and it took quite a while to get there. There were no trains and planes or buses, no Uber, you know. If they were from Arabia, they weren't riding camels. They were probably riding horses. Nothing wrong with having your little camels on your, out, on your dressers or your tables. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't know whether they were riding camels or, or not. We just know that it would have taken them quite a while to get there. In fact, the scripture, even in the story we're going to read, when they finally do arrive, when they finally do see the baby, he's no longer in a manger or a cave or whatever that would have been. He's now in a home. The reason why uh, Jesus was born in this cave or this manger or barn or whatever wasn't because Mary and Joseph didn't have any money. Joseph was a carpenter. He had a job. He had money. He could have uh, paid for uh, an inn. The problem was by the time he arrives in Jerusalem or Bethlehem, everything was sold out. Maybe, maybe you're in a career or a business where you had to go on a business trip. You called up the hotel, wherever it is you were going, and guess what? Sold out. The conference had sold out, and it's hard to find a hotel room. Um, and so Joseph, Mary show up. There's no hotel rooms. There's no bed and breakfasts. Everybody has showed up who was born in Bethlehem for this census. Everything is packed. So he ends up in this cave or this barn, not because he was poor, doesn't say that Mary and Joseph were poor. 
Joseph had a job. The problem was he just, by the time he got there, the whole place was packed. After the census, everybody leaves Bethlehem because nobody, it was a kind of a town you didn't want to live in. And now there's rooms that have opened up and Jesus, Joseph now has the money to buy or purchase a room or maybe he was staying with relatives or whatever, but they show up and they're actually at a house. My point is, is that they weren't there at the very birth. He, he, he was probably eight months old, maybe 10 months old, maybe as much as a, a year, year and a half. So somewhere in that, in that zone, okay? Now, don't go home and throw your wise men away from your, from your you know, little nativity scenes. Don't do that. They're a great reminder. I just want you to know the truth of, of this uh, story. So with this said, let's read it, okay? It's uh, Matthew chapter two, look at verse one. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some men, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, hey, where is the, uh, the Jewish Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, quote, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel, unquote. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, hey, wise men, I want you to go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Jerusalem is about I don't know, six miles away from Bethlehem, okay? So, so it's, it, it, it's pretty close. So the wise men are now gonna leave Jerusalem and make that six-mile uh, journey down to uh, uh, Bethlehem. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. You see that? They're not, they're not at the manger. They're not in a cave. They're at a house now. And saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. They didn't worship Mary. They weren't there to worship Joseph. If there was ever a moment you were gonna worship Mary or Joseph or some that this would have been it. But they don't do that. They're there to worship this child. That's who they came to worship. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him, they gave this 18-month-old, maybe 18 months, maybe a year, bars of gold, gold coins, frankincense, and myrrh. Boy, those are three gifts every baby wants. Aren't they? I'll stop right there. Um, some of you remember Dragnet? Remember Joe Friday? Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. One of the things I love about what we re just read is Matthew was Joe Friday. Just the facts. Boom, here's what happened. Boom, this happened. Boom, this happened. Boom, this happened. This is, this is a historical moment that took place. This isn't a mythological moment. If it was mythological, he would have written it way different. This isn't some allegory. If it was an allegory, Matthew would have written it way different. This is a historical 
moment. It actually happened, and you can tell just by the way Matthew wrote it. It's just the facts. Here's what happened. And I want you to know, like many of you, I've read this story more times than I can count. I've preached on it, you know, more times than I could, could count. And um, one of the things that happens when you get to a season like this or Easter where, you know, you, you, the message is kind of the same is I really prayed that I could make this compelling for you this morning. Because like, like me, many of you have read this a, a zillion times. You've been through a zillion Christmases, right? Christmas morning, my family, we wake up and, and, uh, and uh, you know, my wife and I will get up for the kids and we'll have some coffee and stuff. When the kids finally get up, we gather around the tree and that is the story that we read together. It's part of our family tradition. And under the tree, uh, we have our three gifts that go with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so my children are all gonna get the three gifts. They're gonna get a gold gift, uh, which is the most expensive gift, and they're special, and, and, and they're, they're special to us. And then they're gonna get the frankincense gift, uh, uh, which is a spiritual gift, and they're gonna get a myrrh gift, which is a body gift. And before we get into that, the significance of each of those gifts. We, we read the scripture together. And one of the things I'm super thankful for is that my oldest daughter, who is uh, sometimes up there at this hour, married to a great guy, police officer here in our city, they do the same thing. They've started this same tradition in their home. Uh, uh, discipleship has happened with her, and it makes me happy. Um, my middle daughter, there's no way it's going to happen probably, <laughs> okay? She likes presents, and, and the three, and, and she's going to have her family and be different. My son, he, he, he's, eh, whatever, he's good, he's golden. He, he, I'm sure he'll probably carry the tradition on, at least I hope he does, because it's a way to keep the big idea, the big idea. And so I've been praying a lot that somehow this would be compelling to all of us again. I've entitled the message, Getting Christmas Right, because these wise men nailed it, right? They got it right. They didn't miss the big story. And so let me give you three things, just real quickly, okay? Real quickly. Number one, if you want to get Christmas right, I got three words, okay? Rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Let's say those three words together, okay? Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Look at verse nine. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star that they had seen uh, in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They saw the star and it filled them with joy. They haven't even seen the baby yet. They just seen a star and they're rejoicing. Why? Because they knew what the star represented. The star, they weren't rejoicing. Oh, look at that star. I'm rejoicing over a star. No. They weren't rejoicing over poinsettias. They weren't rejoicing over beautiful trees or wreaths or Hallmark cards or whatever. They're re rejoicing over what that star represented. And that star represented something that God was doing in the world at that moment. Woo! Oh, these give me joy. Rejoice over a poinsettia. It's going to be dead in a week. The tree I purchased. You buy the thing, and I know there's a conspiracy with the people that make them. You pull them out, they work one year, you pull the thing out the next year, and there's a whole bank of lights out. <laughs> and you spend a week trying to figure out the lights. Christmas season's going on, you're cussing and swearing, you're, you're all upset because you can't get the dumb lights to work. 
Unbelievable. <laughs> Presence under the tree. I got a dog I've had for 16 years, family. 16 years. He's deaf and he can't see. And if you were to come to our home, some of you have been to our home recently, he has to wear a diaper because he's just old. And for whatever reason, the, he smells out the tree and he makes his way over to the tree. I don't know, his diaper falls off and the next thing you know, all the presents have. He, he, he's marked them all. It's like, oh man, now what do you do? Even if you unwrap them, though, the cardboard's ah, it's a pray, praise the Lord, it's Christmas time. You know, it's crazy. Hey, look, nothing wrong with a cool star. That's cool. But they weren't rejoicing over a cool star or a cool flower or a cool present or a cool tree or nice lights on the home. They weren't rejoicing over that. They allowed the star to let them rejoice over what God was doing. All this ought to do is remind us of what God is doing. But what happens is we become like that editor and this becomes the story of our lives. This becomes the, the story of our Christmas. Not what it all represents. And by the way, <laughs> these wise men, they, they meet with Herod. He didn't have a clue what that star means. He didn't care it's Christmas. The chief priests don't care it's Christmas. The religious leaders, these wise men, they don't care. So what you don't believe? So what you don't celebrate it? So what? They rejoiced in what God was doing. They didn't allow the fact that, I don't know, City Hall won't let us put a, a, a nativity scene up anymore. And we get all angry and we get all upset over the fact that somebody else doesn't get what the season means. Herod didn't get it. Herod wasn't going to allow uh, a nativity scene at the courthouse. They didn't care. Okay, Herod doesn't get it. Okay, the chief priests don't get it. Okay, the religious leaders don't get it. We don't care. We get it. And they rejoiced over it. They didn't let the fact that, you know, Somebody else didn't get it to rob them of their joy and what God was doing at that moment. And they didn't even really understand it all. And we do. We have a far greater comprehension of what's going on and what the season means than these wise men did. And the thing I, I love about it as you want to get this right, this ought to be a great time of rejoicing for all of us. Who cares what your neighbor thinks? Who cares what the government's doing? Who cares? And let all of these things remind you of the big story. Nothing wrong with the Wright brothers being home for Christmas. Nothing wrong with all of these symbols that we have out. Nothing wrong with them. Just don't allow them to become the symbol or, or the big story. Because when you, when you got it right, you will rejoice. Think about this. And I wrote it down for you to see. We were all dead in our sins, okay? Okay. We were all separated from God and there was nothing we could do or you could do to fix the problem. But God could. He, he could fix the problem. And he did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to planet Earth to be born in that little city called Bethlehem. That's the big story. That we were doomed. Totally doomed. Lost. 
We couldn't fix the problem, but God loved us. And he sent his son. And today in the town of Bethlehem, a savior has been born for you. Let that be the big story. And when you really grab a hold of that, let me tell you something. Hard not to rejoice, right? Paul said this in Philippians 4. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And you know, I, I like that verse. I, I don't, I tried to see if there was a version out there that didn't have always on it. <laughs> Couldn't find one. You see, when you really understand the big picture, come on, you'll rejoice. It's when we allow other things, truthful things, like the Wright brothers are going to be home for Christmas, to kind of start to creep into things and it becomes hard to rejoice. Or we lose focus on things. And now all of a sudden the circumstances around us begin to kind of suck the life right out of us. Instead of having this attitude that, man, I, I'm, I'm just going to rejoice King David said this in Psalms 51, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And we've all been there. We've all been at places in our lives and seasons in our lives when you know what? The joy ain't there. And the reason why the joy ain't there, you know, I could list off a number of things, but I can tell you one of the big ones. You'll lose your joy when all of a sudden the big thing gets replaced by something else. When all of a sudden the big thing isn't the big thing anymore. And now you're focused on whatever all the other stuff of life might be. And it's all truthful stuff. It's all stuff you have to deal with in your life. But it becomes a thing that you're focused on. Instead of the big thing that God loves you deeply and he came and lived a perfect life for you, died a horrific death for you and walked out of a grave conquering death for you that you would spend your eternity with him. Crazy, Whew. man. Uh, n n number two. If you want to get Christmas right, let's say these three words out loud together. Worship, worship, worship. You got to rejoice, got to rejoice, got to rejoice, but you got to worship. You want to get it right, you got to worship. Look at verse 11. They, the wise men, entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. How bizarre must have this sight been? There's Mary and Joseph, and here's this little baby, and they come in. Hey, Mom, hey, Dad. They're not there for my, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they were kind. And they are bowing down and worshiping an 18-month-old. They came, and they worshiped. They had some sort of understanding of who this child was, that he was no ordinary child. And once again, we have a lot more information about who that child was than these wise men. And if you want to get Christmas right, you got to rejoice. You got to focus on the big thing and then look, you got to worship. You got to be a worshiper of the Lord. I mean, think about what it took for these men, important men, and they were important men to get there. Like I said, there's no cars or trains and planes. There's no Marriott hotels. There's, there, there's no freeways or rest stops or whatever. 
They're just on camels or horses or whatever. I mean, that's a long journey, man. It would have been easy to go, hey, look, man, I, that star's a long way off. Hey, listen, man, let's just send Jimmy. You know, he's a pretty good runner. We'll send a letter, and he can show, show up, and he can just read the letter. Hey, we're here, a guy was born. This is great. That would have been easy to do. They, they could have stayed home and worshiped from home. But, man, these guys, man, they had to fill up, you know, had to get water jugs and, and, and food and kindling and, you know, you know sleeping bags. And, I, mean, I mean, it took a long time just to get the whole trip together. Now they got it all on horses and camels and whatever, and now they're making their, their way. Six, eight months, stopping, fighting off a snake, I don't know, uh, uh, scorpions. But hey, here's the thing. Worship mattered to them. Being in the very presence of this child mattered Christmas season is a, a time to worship. Now, with this in mind, I, I've always been amazed, you know, at the excuses. And this isn't to make anybody feel guilty. It's not my point here. But if you do feel guilt, maybe that's the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> some of the things I hear, the, the, the weather, I couldn't come to church because the weather. <laughs> You know, it was raining. So you drive here, you get in your car in your garage, no rain, you drive all the way here, and there's, I don't know, maybe know, 10 yards, 15 yards to get into the door. Fif 15 yards of rain. Can't do it. Not gonna <laughs> It's too hot. You leave your air-conditioned home, get into your garage, probably hot in your garage, and you get in your car, turn the air on, you drive all the way here, and you got about a 10 or 15 minute or you know, second walk from a hot car into a cooled building. Can't do it. Music's too loud. Music's not loud enough. Bad seats. Bad parking, bad people, bad pastor. <laughs> I know it shocks you, but I hear that one a lot. <laughs> How could that be? Kids' soccer game, football's on TV or whatever. Beloved, the, these wise men, nothing was going to stop them. The worship of this child who they knew was different. Wasn't going to stop them. There was nothing going to stop them. And then there comes a moment when they had to just get up and, you know, reload and make their way back. Just, I'll tell you what, it's impressive. These guys got the big picture. They nailed it. They were rejoicing in what God was doing, what that star represented, the season represented. And they were worshipers. They were gonna, they were gonna worship the Lord. We, we sang a song here just a minute ago. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. I mean, that, that, that's it. That's the big picture. That we, as God's people, we, we make the choice to admire God to adore God, to, to worship God. We, we make the choice to take great pleasure in the fact that he saved us and indwells us. We, we, we make the, the choice to make Jesus the primary person, if you will, in our lives, in our families. 
that you know what, you wake up on any given Sunday morning, Saturday night or whatever, and it's, this is a, my moment where I'm gonna come and adore the Lord together with my brothers and sisters. That's what I'm gonna do. And that, that becomes primary. And last but not least, if you wanna get Christmas right, generosity, generosity, generosity. Let's say those three words. Generosity, generosity, generosity. It says, then they opened their treasure chest and gave him this little 18-month-old, maybe, uh, may, maybe he was that old little baby, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men knew they were coming to meet with royalty. He may have only been a baby, but they got it, and they weren't gonna come empty-handed. Their little camels or horses or whatever they had, they were loaded down with, with some really expensive gifts. Because they were coming to not just worship a child. They knew he was something more than that. I don't know how much they knew, but they knew more. And we know who he is. And all throughout the scriptures, we're told to bring our, our gifts to, to, the, to the Lord. I had, a, the other day I was talking with this little first grader gal at our school, and she asked me, she said, I was thinking about what I could give Jesus for Christmas, Pastor, but, but I heard you say one time that he, he has everything, he owns everything, so, so what, can, what can I give him? And I thought, man, well, that's a great question. And on some theological plane, he, he does own everything. But I did tell her, I said, you know, I know of at least one thing that Jesus doesn't own, unless you give it to him. And that's first place in your life. He doesn't own that. And that's the greatest gift that you could give him. You may not have gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but if you want to give something Jesus doesn't have, give him first place in your life. That, that's something he doesn't have unless you give it to him. He can be a part of your life, but he's not first place in your life. It's possible you came in here, or you're watching over in the venue, or you're watching online, and you know Christ. He's a part of your, the story of your life. He's just not the big picture of your life. He's just not number one in your life. And the Bible says in Matthew 6, chapter 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He doesn't say, you know, make Jesus the only thing you do and think about in your life. God knows us. He knows we have jobs and careers and we have families and spouses. We have things we have to deal with. He, he, he doesn't say the only thing you can do is, you know, think about me. He just said, hey, just make sure I'm number one. Give me first place in your life. And what's interesting is when you give him first place in your life, when you keep him the big picture, when you keep him in the center, all the stuff that we have to deal with, Makes it a little easier, doesn't it? And maybe today, the, today is a great day to say, you know what, I came in here and I know Christ as my Savior, and, but I, frankly, I missed the big picture. I, I missed it. And today, you're gonna say, I'm gonna rededicate my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give God a gift today. First place in my life. That'd be a good gift. You see, there's another song we sing this, type of, this time of year. It goes like this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Stop right there. <laughs> That's the key line in the whole thing. You see, Jesus has come, and we ought to rejoice, and we ought to worship him. The problem is, is that we have to prepare room for him in our lives, don't we? Even as believers, 
Our lives can get so full of good things that there isn't really room in our hearts anymore for the main thing. We're so focused on our careers or our, our families or our children. All are good things that we have allowed the Lord not to be first place anymore. I think a lot of our lives can be like the inn. Now, you know, never, the Bible never mentions an innkeeper. We just know there wasn't any room at the inn. That's what it says. And so what we do is we have this picture in our mind that Mary and Joseph show up, ask the innkeeper, hey, you got some room here? And the innkeeper says, no, there's no room, but I got this barn in the back kind of a thing. There's no conversation like that in the scriptures. We just kind of, you know, self-impose it on there because something obviously went down. To some degree, I guess we could be like that innkeeper where Jesus wants to come in, but there's no room. I'm filled up. Got all kinds of stuff in my life. And man, today would be a great day to say, maybe I'm not gonna repent of my sin, but I literally have never even gave Jesus any room in my life at all. I've never given my life to Christ. And we have a place called the altar room. I was in there last night until late. And maybe you might want to just make your way in there. Over in the venue, we have an altar room in there also. And just go in and there'll be pastors or elders, there'll be spiritual leaders of our church will be in there and just say, you know what? I'd like to rededicate my life. You know, Jesus is number two. He's number three. He's in my life. But wow, today I, I got this thought that I just need to rededicate my life to Christ. Put him number one. Or maybe you'll go in and say, I've never, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. Never. And we'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, whatever, whatever we can do. And so I want you to take advantage of that, okay? Everybody stand up. Over in the venue, wants to stand. And so, Lord, thank you for our time here uh, this morning. And what a beautiful season this is. And I'm glad that we can decorate our homes and our churches. Um, just, this is just a special time. If aliens were to land here uh, during December, they would probably not know what to do. Because it is a unique time. But God, for those of us that name your name, may we be like those wise men and may all the stuff be secondary to what it all represents that you did in our world 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, and I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.